Two, <coughs> excuse me. Two weeks ago, we stopped in the narrative of Israel's obstinate demand for a king with God granting their demand and telling Samuel to give them a king. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 22, the last verse of the chapter, it reads, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice, make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. So what is Samuel to do? Now the question is, how was God going to bring this to pass? What would be the process whereby Samuel would make Saul the king of Israel? The theme of this morning's message is that God will send the man who is to be king to Samuel. God will send the man who is to be king to Samuel. Today we are focusing on the process whereby God sovereignly brings Saul to Samuel to be appointed as king over Israel. We are to see God's providential leading and direction. We are to see how God providentially leads Saul through a series of apparently ordinary circumstances. The Puritans referred to God's providence as God's invisible hand directing our lives. This morning, God's invisible hand is revealed as the one who is directing the circumstances of Saul's life and brings Saul to Samuel. And of course, we're going to make application regarding God's leading in our lives as well. The question is, are we making too much of God's sovereignty? Are we really to see God's providential hand at work in these verses before us, or is that merely a theological overreach? Are we reading something into the text that is not there? Are we spiritualizing a rather ordinary account? Well, as an aside this morning, as uh, we think about studying narratives, uh, I'd like to give you this uh, hint about studying uh, biblical narratives. That is, that in studying narratives, you always want to begin with looking for interpretive keys. That is, verses that supply the interpretation or commentary on the events that are being described in the narrative. That is quite common in the scriptures. In other words, you have this narrative, and then you have a verse that tells you how you are to view that narrative. What are the lessons that are to be learned? What is God doing? The interpretive key in this particular section is found in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 16. If you look there, 1 Samuel 9, 16. Tomorrow about this time... And now these words, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin. This is God's interpretation to Samuel. This is what is taking place. Tomorrow at this time, I, God, will send to you, Samuel, this king that is to be anointed. So in verse 16, God tells Samuel that it is God's activity to send Saul to him. This is the divine interpretation of what's taking place before us. So then we can say with absolute certainty that what is before us in verses 9 
Uh, chapter 9, verses 3 through 15, is the means by which God sends Saul to Samuel. Here is the instrumentality. This is the way in which God is going to work. You see, we could ask the question, will God speak directly to Saul as God had spoken to Samuel in the past? And the answer is no. Will Saul have a dream? Will he see a vision that will tell him to go to Samuel and to be anointed as king? And again, the answer is no. Will God send a prophet to Saul as God had sent a prophet to Eli to reveal his will and to instruct Saul in what he should do? Again, the answer is no. God is not going to send a prophet. God is not going to give him a vision. God is not going to speak to him directly. Instead, we're to see a process of events and circumstances that God has ordained and overseen that are going to be the means by which he is going to bring Saul to Samuel. So the theme this morning is that God works through the common circumstances of life to bring Saul to Samuel to become anointed king. Now we're going to look at each of these circumstances as they are recorded for us in chapter 9. First, I already spoke on verses 1 to 2 last week, so now we're at verse 3. First, God brings Saul to Samuel through the loss of his father's donkeys. Verse 3. Now, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So what occasioned Saul's journey, what set him off uh, on this trek, if you will, is the fact that these donkeys are lost. One should keep in mind that uh, most likely such an event would have been viewed as a negative. Here's a loss of potential wealth. Here is an annoyance, to be sure, of having to go off and look for some donkeys that have wandered off. At the very minimum, it was an inconvenience at best and certainly an unwelcomed event to be sure. And yet God is going to use it ultimately to bring Saul to Samuel and have him anointed as king. So the application is how often it is that we view the unpleasant or disagreeable circumstances of life as nothing more than a hardship or a nuisance. We get frustrated by the negative things that happen into our lives and we might even ask the question, why me, Lord? Why is it my donkeys are lost? Why is it that I have to put up with this, this mess? So the question is, do we see then uh, events that God will use to accomplish his purpose? Or do we attribute them to bad luck? Unfortunate circumstances that are to be cheerfully endured but serve to benefit no meaningful purpose. We all know the verse, I think, of Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, but it's easy to live life as though that were not true. Secondly, God leads Saul to Samuel through the obedience that he demonstrated to his father. Kish's father Kish, Saul's father instructs Saul in what he is to do. Uh, he is to take a servant with him, verse 3. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his son, take 
one of the young men with you. That's how the servant comes into play. Uh, he's instructed to take him. And he's to go look for the donkeys at the end of verse 3. And arise, go, and look for the donkeys. A simple observation is that Saul was obedient to his father in all things. Uh, he took the servant, and he went, and he looked for the donkeys. Application, God's will for us to be obedient to those who have authority over us is a demonstrable way in which God leads and directs in our lives. Neither Kish nor Saul could have known the ultimate outcome. But through his obedience to his father, God is leading, <coughs> God is, <coughs> excuse me, directing, <coughs> God is accomplishing his purpose. In like manner, we are not to see obedience to those that are in authority over us is something that is simply obedience to God without understanding it to be obedience to God's will. That God's will is being accomplished in our lives through our obedience to the, those who have authority over us. This is the way in which God gives direction to our lives. Thirdly, God leads Saul to Samuel through frustrating Saul's efforts in finding the donkeys. Saul diligently looked for the donkeys throughout the land. That's verse 4. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of uh, Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but they did not find them. So there is a long trek that goes on. We know by verse 20 that it's approximately three days. They've been looking for these donkeys. And though they sought diligently for the donkeys, they did not find them. Verse 4, if you note the repeated refrain, but they did not find them there. Then later, but they were not there. And then again, but did not find them. It was God's will, his purpose, that Saul did not find the donkeys. If Saul had found the donkeys, the search would have stopped. The journey would have ended. He would have returned home and never have encountered Samuel. Therefore, the donkeys were not found. Application, God leads through circumstances of both success and failure. If you look at verse 20, uh, when Saul appears before Samuel, Samuel says in verse 20, As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not send your mind on them, for they have been found. God certainly could have made it possible for Saul to find these donkeys. Others had found these donkeys. Why didn't Saul find them? Answer, God didn't want him to. And it's important to realize that Saul is not outside of the will of God. It isn't that God didn't want him to go on the journey. It isn't that God did not want him to look for the donkeys. It's that God did not want him to find the donkeys. Just because we have plans that don't come to fruition, 
Just because we have plans that don't come to pass doesn't mean that God is not in those plans. It doesn't mean that we are outside of the will of God. But rather, we have to submit not only our plans, but the outcome of those plans, the dispensing of those plans, if you will, to the work of an almighty, sovereign God. Saul had done the right thing in looking for the donkeys. Saul did exactly what God wanted him to do, and yet he did not succeed, for it was God's intention. It was God's purpose that he did not succeed. And of course, he had no way of knowing that, except by faith. There was nothing revealed to him. All right? He would have seen that as a failure. He would have seen that as an untoward circumstance. He may have questioned, why could not I find those donkeys? Well, because it was God's will that he kept going. Fourthly, God leads Saul to Samuel as Saul is helped by his servant's insistence. God leads Saul to Samuel through his servant's insistence. Their uh, travels lead them to the land of Zuf in verse 5. When they came to the land of Zuf, Zuf, of course, is the home place of uh, Samuel, we know that from chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, Samuel lives in uh, the city of Ramah. So the city that we're talking about is Ramah. You come to the land of Zuf. Now Saul is ready to give up and go home, verse 5. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. Again, according to verse 20, three days passed. So Saul says, look, we've been looking. We haven't found anything. Let's go home. Uh, God, uh, Dad's going to be more worried about us than he's going to be worried about his donkeys. It's time to call it a day. Pack it in. Search is over. They're lost. We're going home. However, the servant insists that they seek Samuel's help. Verse 6. But he said to him, behold... There's a man of God in this city, and he's a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way that we should go. One might wonder why it is that the servant knows about Samuel and Saul does not. We're not told in the text. Uh, but obviously, uh, Saul is unaware of Samuel, who he is or what he has done. However, the servant is well aware of Samuel and of his reputation. He says there's a man of God in this city. He's a man who is held in honor. He says all that he says comes true. So let's go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way that we should go. He thinks maybe Samuel will be able to help them. Well, Saul expresses his reluctance to go to Samuel. Verse 7, then Saul... Saul said to his servant, but if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant overcomes Saul's reluctance by providing him with a gift for Samuel. Verses 8 and 9. The servant answered Saul again, here, 
I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. Here again, we encounter additional features of God's grace and God's leading in the life of Saul. There are some unusual elements in this particular portion of the passage. They are as follows. First, the servant's commitment to finding the donkeys. Why doesn't the servant just say, you're right, let's go home. You know, we've been looking for three days. Uh, We haven't found anything. Uh, Let's hightail it back. This servant is more concerned with finding the donkeys than Pish is. Uh, Excuse me, than uh, Saul is. Second, his awareness and confidence in Samuel, though Samuel is not yet mentioned by name. But that's striking. Here is this servant who has a great deal of confidence in Samuel and believes that he can be helpful. Thirdly, his willingness to use his own money to seek Samuel's help. He's, he's willing to, to pay for the advice that Samuel's going to give. Uh, he's willing to make a sacrifice to that extent, if you will. Fourthly, the fact that he has money and Saul does not. How does that happen? How is it that this servant has a quarter of a shekel and Saul says, I don't have anything on me. Well, what are we going to do? I'm penniless. And the servant says, well, I got some money. Uh, I can help you. Uh, we can still go to Samuel. It's okay. And then fifthly, that the servant's advice is followed. That he's willing to listen to his servant, overcomes his doubts, uh, this issue is still present concerning Tish and the presenting concern that if we don't go back right away, he's going to be more anxious about us than he is about the donkeys. But that passes out of his mind, and now he's ready to do what this servant tells him to do. These are not coincidences. These are elements of a sovereign God at work in the lives of these people. I just submit to you that it is not the natural inclination of Saul to seek the Lord's help. Though he was frustrated in not finding the donkeys, he doesn't say, let's pray about it. Let's seek the Lord's direction. Let's seek the Lord's wisdom. Maybe he can reveal to us where these donkeys are. It's pretty apparent in the text, and I'll get into that more next week, that at this this place in Saul's life, that he is is not what we would refer to as being regenerate or being born again. He has no relationship with God at this point. That's going to become evident in the weeks that lie ahead. And yet, when his servant talks about this man of God, he's willing to go, and he's willing to listen. He's willing to find out. Which teaches us that God is at work in our lives even before we come to faith. In fact, that's the very reason we come to faith. Because God is at work in our lives. He brings us to himself. 
It is not a stroke of good luck that we have heard the gospel and we believe. He has called us. He has chosen us before the foundation of the world. And he is at work in the circumstances and the events and the peoples in our lives to bring us to himself. Fifthly, God leads Saul to Samuel through the helpful directions of some girls who were on their way to get water. Verse 11. As they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out of, to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? Okay. Now, all of these accounts or all these incidences are extremely important. Extremely important. I uh, took a course once in college uh, when I was at uh, uh, Kutztown that was an extremely helpful course to me. It was entitled Oral Interpretation. And what the basic element or the, the focal point of the course was in taking a story and boiling it down to its essential narratives, what you need to know from the story to communicate the story. So we would take passages, we would take books and uh, tell what this book is about in five minutes or less. Boiling down, what are the significant elements, what do you need to know? We read in the book of John that not even all of the world could, could contain the things that should be written concerning Jesus, of the things which he said and the things that which he did. We know that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine and proof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished in all good works, saying that there's not a word in the scriptures that is superfluous. There's nothing in the Bible that you can just discard. You can just read and say, well, that really doesn't matter. I don't need to think about that. So all of these events that we are seeing, including these young girls that are coming out of the city, we're to take note of, we're, we're to think about, we're to reflect upon and marvel at. So let's look at these young girls. The first thing we note is that there is no intentionality on the girl's part to meet Saul on the way. They are just fulfilling a personal need. Verse 11, they went up to the hill to the city, they met young women, and here was their motivation, coming out to draw water. And they said to him, where's the seer? All right, so here are these young girls that just happen to be coming out of the city and encountering Saul on their way. And so they say to these young girls, well, where is the seer? The girls view this as the stranger's lucky day. They said, is the seer here? Notice verse 12. They answered, he is. He's here. He's here. But more than that, he's just ahead of you, and you can easily catch him. Verse 12. He is. Behold, he is just ahead of you, right? He's, 
just, just beyond your distance. Not, it's a shame. He was here yesterday. He just missed him. No. Is he here? Yeah, he is. <laughs> He's just ahead of you. And not only that, but it says in verse 12, hurry. Hurry. He has come just now to the city. He has come just now to the city. Evidently, Samuel had been away, most likely ministering elsewhere. For we're told in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, that he, which is Saul, went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all those places. And then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there he also judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. He has just come. He has just entered the city. He's been away. He's ministering. He came today. It's your lucky day. Then they say, hurry. Hurry. Uh, In the end of verse 12, because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. Now, the girl encouraged Saul and his servants in their efforts. Saul and his servant were unsuccessful in finding the donkeys. However, they will find Samuel right away. Verse 13, as soon as you enter the city, you will find him. In the end of verse 13, now go up, for you will meet him immediately. All right, you're going to meet with great success. You're going to find him. Couldn't find the donkeys, but you're going to find Samuel right off the bat. And it is a good thing that you'll meet him right away because Samuel is on a mission. He is going up to offer a sacrifice on the high place. Look at verse 13. As as soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. So Samuel is going up to offer the sacrifice, and he's got a hightailed up there because the people won't eat until he offers the sacrifice. So they say to them, hurry, get to him before he's up on the high place offering the sacrifice. Why? Notice at the end of verse 13, afterward, those who are invited will eat. You're not invited. You better hightail it and get to Samuel before he reaches the high place because everybody's waiting for him and they can't eat till he gets there. And only those who are invited can be a part. So Saul goes. And it turns out, unbeknown to Saul, that Saul is going to be one of those invited guests. In fact, preparation has been made for Saul. We'll see next week. A special portion of the food has been designated for Saul. And not only is Saul going to be an invited guest, He's going to be the guest of honor. The girls don't know that. Saul doesn't know that. God knows that. 
This again points to God's sovereign control and preparation of all the events that are taking place. These girls are being used by God simply through their courteous interaction with the strangers. The girls are being used of God out of a desire to be helpful as opposed to playing tricks on those strangers. No, these, these girls were nice girls. They uh, were willing to talk to, to strangers. And when the strangers asked them for directions, they gave them accurate directions. They didn't say, oh, yeah, 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 we saw, we saw Samuel. He, he just went down the hill. Hurry up and you can catch him, wink, wink. And they all laugh as they see these strangers go in the wrong direction. That's not what happened. They're courteous. They're kind. They interact. They give good information. And Saul is hastened on his way. God uses even common courteouses and, and helpfulness in the lives of others. Lastly, God leads Saul to Samuel through Samuel's carrying out his duties. Verse uh, 14. So they went up to the city and they were entering the city. They saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way to the high place. Just the previous day, God had told Samuel that he would bring to Samuel a man who would be king. Verse 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. God reveals to Samuel that the man who is to be king is right before him. Here is the man of whom I spoke to you, verse 17. And in keeping with the will of God, Samuel does not approach Saul, rather Saul approaches Samuel. Seems like a small thing, but you're going to find, as you work your way through Samuel time and time again, God gives instruction about being patient, about waiting, about relying upon the Lord's leading and direction, and you will find people jumping ahead, people trying to help God out, people not willing to wait, and they want to take matters in their own hands. That is a recurring theme in 1 Samuel. And its ultimate conclusion comes in the story of David later on, uh, of uh, the willingness to wait as he's anointed king and not take the life of of, uh, of uh, Saul and not jump the gun. Here, Samuel doesn't jump the gun. God says to Samuel, I'll bring him to you. And so we have this simple little statement in verse 18. It says, Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? It is not Saul, Samuel that approaches Saul. It is Saul that approaches Samuel. And this is God's order. This is God's purpose. For God is going to make it very apparent to Saul that God is at work. And one of the ways he's going to do that is by revealing to Saul that the donkeys have been found. God knew all along what's happening. And not only did God know what was happening, God was overseeing, ordaining what was taking place. 
We'll say a lot more about that next week and, and look at the details that follow. That's where we're going to stop this morning for this particular study. But rather, I want now to really focus our attention on some lessons to be learned from this passage. That is, what an amazing set of circumstances the result in Saul being brought to Samuel. But they are not a series of events that are a result of good luck. They are not just good fortune. And they are more than simply an incredible amount of coincidences. Rather, they are the invisible hand of God directing and overseeing each and every one of these circumstances. So, what are the appropriate applications? First, what is your story of God's providence in your own life? What is your story, what is your narrative of the events and circumstances that brought you to faith in Jesus Christ? We know We know it was not a result of good luck. We know it was not a result of our seeking him. For no one seeks him, the scripture says. No, not one. No. It was God seeking us. God bringing us to faith. And it is a helpful exercise to just sit back and think through the events, the people, the encounters that led you to God, that brought you to a place of placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What were the circumstances? What were the events? How was it that you came to her, hear the gospel? What was it that made you ready to respond to the gospel at that particular time? What was going on in your life? Who were the people that were being used? Who was the servant in your life? Who was the young girl in your life? Who was the Samuel in your life that ultimately revealed to you the gospel? Grateful for God's working in your life. Tell your story to others. There is an old saying that hindsight is 2020. Looking back on life is much clearer than trying to look into the future. Well, I believe that in looking back on life, we can see the providential hand of God at work in many different ways. We can see God's activity in our lives. Uh, I think in my own life and God bringing me to this church. And I would love to tell you that story sometime because there were so many different factors in my ending up being pastor here. As I look back, I can just see God's direction. I can see God's hand. I can see God at work. What a comfort. What a joy. Proverbs says, a man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We can also say, with absolute certainty, that everything that we encounter in life is working together for our good in conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says this, and we know that all things work together for good 
to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. We might be the firstborn among many brethren. We don't know all the ins and outs. We don't know the reasons for every circumstance and every event and everything that's happening in our lives today. You know, people will say, why did this happen to me? I don't know. And you don't know. But one thing is universally true. And that is, God intends and will accomplish that every circumstance in our life will conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will make us more like him. So whatever you're encountering today is intended to mature you. To increase your faith. To increase your patience. To increase your love. To increase your steadfastness, your endurance. Your quiet and submissive spirit to those who are in authority over you. Everything that you are encountering, God is using to make you more like Jesus Christ. Which is a basis for rejoicing. Which is a basis for giving thanks. And then fourthly, not everything is all about us. Having just said that God is at work in each of our lives and and God is achieving his purpose in each of our lives, but not everything is about us. It's not simply about what God is doing in my life, but what is God doing in the lives of others through me? How are the circumstances of my life affecting other people and my responses to those circumstances? Throughout the day, you are encountering many experiences that may not all be achieving the same purpose, but rather are serving a far greater encompassing purpose of God. Ultimately, God is establishing Saul as king over Israel. And everything is working together to accomplish that great overarching purpose. And God is not only at work in Saul's life, but he's at work in Kish's life. He's at work in the servant's life. And he's even at work in the lives of these girls that are simply going out to draw water. And so as we evaluate the circumstances of our own lives... And we rejoice because God is at work in us and conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus. We can also ask the question, at any given point in life, who am I most like? Am I like Kish, who's instructing his son in what he should do and how he should respond and what he should do? Is that what God is doing in my life right now? Or am I more like the servant? Am I the one that God is going to use to point people to one that can tell them and answer their questions? One that can introduce them to Christ? One that can show them the way? Or am I more like the girls who simply through a smile, through a courteous response, giving directions to the church, if you will, telling somebody about how to use the internet, and listen to 
the broadcast on YouTube. Or maybe you're the Samuel. And God is bringing someone to you today through this circumstance to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ, how they can be saved, how their life can be changed, how it can be renewed. God is at work in all of these things, many purposes being fulfilled by grace. So as we think about a hospital stay, for example, and we could think about loads of examples, but let's limit it this morning to a hospital stay. And we ask ourselves, why am I in the hospital? Why did I get this disease? Why do I need this operation? What is God intending through this circumstance? Well, maybe God is intending to work through you and influencing doctors and nurses. Maybe a fellow roommate. Maybe it's so that you can have an influence on your family members and they can see your face and they can see how you respond and you can be helpful to your family members as they look to you and find comfort and support. Maybe it's for the church family's benefit. Maybe there's someone else who's going to have the same procedure that you're going to have. And you can tell them how God has ministered to you and how God can minister to them. Maybe it's your fellow workers who hear about this disease and see how you respond. And they wonder, well, you mean to tell me that Christians get sick? Yes, they do. For the same circumstances of the world are in our lives. The difference is the way in which God helps us through those circumstances. Your community. Your own life. And what God is trying to teach you. Bring you closer to him. Giving you confidence and peace. And the goodness and grace of God. And his answers to your prayers. And just maybe it's all of the above. All of the above. For God is at work in our lives not only individually but corporately. And our lives are not lived in a vacuum. And our lives are being orchestrated for the benefit of ourselves for our church, for our community, and for the world. Maybe you're the Sunday school teacher that leads Dwight L. Moody to faith in Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot know how the events in our lives are going to be used by God. All that we can know is they will be used by God. He is at work in your successes 
and your failures. When your donkeys wander away and when you are able to secure an extra amount of donkeys. When you can't find them and when you find them right away. When you can't supply your own needs, but even your servant can help you in supplying your needs. When young girls are supplying you with such simple but life-changing information, God is at work. We live in a period of time in which people are pulling out their hair, so frustrated with all of the events and circumstances of life. And there's a tendency to say, what on the world is going on here? And we're blaming politicians, and we're finding fault with this, and we're finding fault with that, and we're finding fault with our neighbor, and we're finding fault with everything. What is going on here? God is at work. In your life, in the church, in the community, and in the world. Have faith and rejoice in him and submit to that which he is teaching you. Give him praise. Give him glory. He's sovereign. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to rejoice in you. Help us to see what is indeed a passage that you purposefully gave us to teach us how you lead and direct in the lives of people. Not just your people, but people. How you are sovereignly in control. And you lead not just through visions, and you lead not just through a revelation, and you don't just lead through your prophets but through the ordinary circumstances of life as we respond in faith and obedience. You lead us and you direct us to your purpose and to your end in ways that we cannot imagine, in ways that we can't understand, and ultimately we won't understand till we stand before your presence and you reveal to us when you lift the veil and when you show us how you were at work in all the individual circumstances of life. Lord, we long for that day, we long for that understanding where faith will be sight and we will understand fully even as we are fully known. But in this life and in this time, give us the faith and the diligence to at least reflect and to think back on how you have used people and circumstances in our lives to bring us to faith and to mature us in our faith. And Lord, may it give us strength in that faith to go forward and to believe you for all the uncertainties that are yet before us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.